Hello, and welcome back to What's Next, a podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. As VR gaming and esports become more commonplace, our portfolio company Sliver TV hopes to transform these experiences with peer-to-peer technology, and they're hoping to incentivize users to share their bandwidth with the creation of the Theta token. We've got Sliver TV CEO Mitch Liu and Head of Strategy Wes Levitt here today to talk about how they are using blockchain to change the way people watch and share video with others around them. Let's learn more. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ryan. So I guess to start, uh, maybe tell me about how you got started with Sliver TV and what it is, what the idea was behind it. Sure. So a little bit about my background, uh, you know, I was a techie nerd by, by training, I guess, uh, went to MIT for my undergrad, did research at MIT Media Lab working on uh, all sorts of interesting problems like nonlinear movies, interactive storytelling, um, human-computer interactions, and so I've been in the video space for, for a long time. Towards the late uh, 2015, um, we started Sliver TV at the heels of Amazon acquiring uh, Twitch, right, and we saw an opportunity to really... Uh, yeah, we saw we saw Twitch being a very static, sort of non-interactive, one-way, one-to-many kind of you know streamer to viewers in the esports space. Right? We saw an opportunity to build sort of next-generation Twitch, which is much more interactive and much more engaging. Uh, so Sliver started um, really at the intersection of virtual reality, VR, um, and and esports uh, in early 2016. And since then, we've launched the uh, Sliver TV uh, Watch and Win platform that uh, uh, now has about 7 million monthly users. And uh, Theta Token is our blockchain project that we started uh, mid of um, last year, mid of 2017. Okay. And so you have this sort of peer-to-peer way of transferring video, right? And that's what Theta is a part. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Theta is essentially a, it's a mess streaming network for delivering uh, both VR content and and standard 2D content. Um, there's a, a couple different ways it could be implemented, but the primary one that we are beginning with utilizes WebRTC, which is an open source Google protocol. And uh, the really interesting thing that allows us to do is establish browser to browser connections between users. So there's no client download, there's no browser extension to download. And that gets us across one of the the real issues with previous peer-to-peer networks is it's very difficult to get a, a user, especially a mainstream user, to jump through that extra hoop. You know, it needs to feel just as easy as their experience going on YouTube now, very seamless. And so that's one of the innovations that lets uh, Theta have a chance to get that mainstream adoption. Okay. So why did you see an opportunity in this space? Like, what was it that you said this is missing from today's streaming platforms that you really wanted to make available to to users and um, those who are watching these streams. Yeah, so for instance, you know, in the esports space, when you're streaming, you know, popular esports uh, games or titles like League of Legends, Counter Strike, they're all played on the PC screen, right? It's a, it's a flat 2D game. Uh, and so, with the first uh, sort of uh, phase of technology that we developed at Sliver, uh, a number of patents that essentially rendered these PC games in a full 360 VR environment. So you're able to put on your VR headset and, you know, 
it's sort of putting yourself right in the middle of the game. You can look around and see other characters running around you, and it's as if you're inside the game. So that was a very unique technology, and we did live stream uh, of those of those tournaments uh, in real time, and that really sort of took that level of interactivity, engagement to the next level, right beyond what you would just see on a regular two D stream. Right. What does that mean from a bandwidth perspective and just being able to render that in a 3d space as opposed to a 2d space and render it for you know a vr environment as opposed to just watching it on a desktop screen huge bandwidth implications right if you compare you know 720p or even 1028 um, uh, hd resolution you know for a vr stream you're really looking at approximately 4k per eye right so that's 10 to 15 times amount of data that needs to be pushed through right for the equivalent amount of of, of time um and so that, that was a lot of the learnings back in 2016 17 that kind of led us towards theta as a blockchain project um is it, really that particular problem is is the fact that you know over time not only is videos a form factor increasing as part of uh, as a percentage of total internet data but also the amount of data that's being pushed through from you know 4k to vr content and that's that's only increasing yeah i was going to ask about that because i have been covering the video space for a really long time probably 12 years and i remember you know there's this period of time in the 2006 to 2008 time frame where everybody recognized that um, video bandwidth was going to explode and peer-to-peer seemed to be the answer. And there were all these different peer-to-peer projects that popped up over over the course of time. Um, and they all disappeared by, say, 2010, 2011. So what's unique about the environment today? Is it just that WebRTC exists? It's partially that, in that WebRTC is a relatively new development, but that's actually a good segue into uh, the second component that Theta brings to the table is the the fact that it integrates uh, a native blockchain that we're building into it. Blockchain by itself doesn't help video delivery be any more efficient, but what it does do is solve two of the key problems that those previous peer-to-peer networks you're talking about had. Um, the first being that it's very hard to get users to actually share you know, out of the goodness of their own heart on a peer-to-peer network, you need some way to incentivize them to do so. And being able to introduce a token that shares that value created with the users that share their bandwidth allows you to incentivize that. And the second is that video platforms, content creators, they all were left with a very bad taste in their mouth from the the first generation peer-to-peer networks in that they were used 90% for piracy. And so digital rights management is is a really important issue for these platforms. And being able to track each video segment that's shared through our peer-to-peer network via this blockchain ledger allows us to introduce guarantees to video platforms that adopt data that we will not be sharing their their content will not be shared over our network with someone who doesn't actually have the authorized use of it. What was the driving force behind adopting the blockchain technology? Like when did you say this is an application for blockchain? Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so this happened last spring, right after we raised our Series A round of financing. Our lead investor looked at our operating expenses and they saw that 30 to 50% of our monthly cost was spent in video delivery, right? This is CDNs and content delivery networks like Akamai and 
Amazon CloudFront and uh, a bunch of networks that we use to deliver particularly our, our live streams to users around the world in developing countries like Brazil and Eastern Europe and Russia is really, really hard to and very costly to to del- deliver those streams in real time. So they asked, so Mitch, you know, uh, have you thought about solving this problem using blockchain? Because they were early investors in Ethereum and Brave and definitely a bunch of uh, blockchain projects. So that was sort of really solving our own problem, uh, if you will. And as we uh, developed the, the, the white paper and the project, we saw this is actually a huge problem. This is not just us, but there are just about every media and content provider and video platform out there has similar issues. You know, and, and the main guiding factor for us is you know, Theta is a infrastructure. So it's the go-to-market strategy is to partner with an existing content provider, right? It's, it's, it's not to, we're not trying to be the next YouTube. We're not trying to be the next HBO, right? Or Netflix. In fact, we're looking to partner with a Twitch, YouTube, HBO. And so when they, so if you like Game of Thrones and you watch Game of Thrones through, through HBO's app or website or whatnot, uh, and you share that with the community, right? Whether it's your friends or other people in the network, you, you earn the incentive for doing so. So it's really a very differentiating model right if i'm a samsung vr user viewer um you know tuned into some of this content whether it's on my desktop or driven through my desktop or whether it's driven through the gear vr headset is this something i have to opt into to be able to get those streams and what does that mean from the user perspective yeah that's a good question so the test channel that we're in the process of building is very very clear to the end user that you are opting into participating as part of the community participating in sharing this particular content if you don't want to share right click here and you you'll be disabled right and you won't be doing so so that's really important that's really part of the user experience and if they do choose to be part of the, the sharing network, if you will, then um, they know that they're earning Theta uh, and Theta tokens as a result of that. So, you know, we, again, it's sort of that messaging that's really important because we want to be really clear, really transparent. It's sort of like the sharing economy, right? You know, Uber, you're sharing your car, right? With Airbnb, you share your apartment, your condo. Uh, you know, with Theta, you're sharing your excess bandwidth. Right. Let's talk about those incentives and how they come in and what it means to be a part of the Theta network and what it means to get tokens. Um, like, w- what was the thinking behind that, even just issuing a token? Sure. So the problem space that that we started looking at last uh, last spring, last summer is this. You know why why the the past peer to peer networks failed or didn't get the kind of traction that we had expected, and um, it really sort of came down to the sort of the the incentive structure, right? The, the crypto economics of that and. Blockchain came in as a technology that solves that, particularly because you need to make micropayments. And micropayments, I mean, this doesn't make sense to, to pay someone, you know, one one thousandth of a penny, right? I mean, how, do, how does that even tracked right in the real world right um but with blockchain and cryptocurrency you you do in fact right you have one millionth of a penny right i mean whatever makes sense and so we can uniquely identify that two or five or seven second segment video segment and say there's a resource id associated with that and there is a uh, micropayment associated with that. And now the harder problem is how do you scale that, right? I mean, any given time, if you have a million concurrent viewers of a video stream, you're talking about maybe 10x or 50x that in terms of the number of transactions needed, right, to to process all that. And so that's, you know, a lot of the hard problems that we're working on now. Uh, to add to that, the, you know, one of the critical reasons why we thought the best way to do this was to, to issue a token and to use that as the way to transfer value within the system. Is that while this begins as a protocol developed by Theta Labs and with a couple key partners, the end game is that we essentially 
get this network to a robust, consistent state, and then it's operating in a decentralized manner where Theta Labs no longer has control of it. There's different stakeholders that all have varying control of it, whether it's Theta, Samsung VR, future video partners, the viewers themselves, content creators, but we don't want the in-game to be centralized Theta Labs doling out rewards to everyone who contributes to the network. We want it to be done via protocol in a trustless way, and to that for that to happen, you need to have something to carry value through at the network, and that's the Theta token. Gotcha. You recently launched sort of the testnet of how this all works. Um, talk me through that and what that actually means. Um, yeah. Like, what, what is the Theta testnet? <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, by testnet, that's that's kind of the parlance in, in blockchain, but you can think of it as a beta release, essentially, a public beta that users can start testing on. And what that meant specifically for Theta and for Sliver TV was the testnet Theta blockchain is live. There's a block explorer, which is uh, essentially a visual interface where you can see all the blocks being produced on the, the beta blockchain. Um, and the transactions on that. And it's incorporated into Sliver TV in the form of a Theta test channel. So any user that logs on to watch the, the eSports streams on that channel, if they opt in, immediately begins sharing bandwidth, just like we talked about, without any kind of download, just by clicking on to that channel. Um, there's some instructions as to what's going on in the background for them. They can click on to their specific Theta wallet and follow the transactions through the Theta blockchain and see exactly who they're sharing with and the transaction associated with that. So it's a, it's kind of a teaching tool in some ways for how it works. It's our testing grounds, essentially, as we move forward to our, our mainnet launch in Q4. So as of the first month, we had 300,000 unique users that visited uh, from 149 different countries sharing their bandwidth. So it's been uh, invaluable as data for, for our engineering team to see where the blockchain can be further optimized, where their streaming protocol can be optimized, essentially get the, the kinks out of it before we move to the full production launch in Q4. Any big learnings from that beta launch or things that maybe surprised you once you put this out in the world and, and tested it out? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's, uh, you know, we're working through a, a, a bunch of issues, right? And that's sort of the, the goal and the purpose of, of the test and the beta. One of them being that the, uh, the messaging, right, to the end user and the end user experience, right? We, in, in, I guess, in blockchain lingo, going to the guts of it, we are moving towards a, a two token system. Theta is a staking token with something called Gamma, which is a functional or utility token. Um, and so explaining that to an end user is challenging, right? Because um, it's it's hard to, you know, for adoption purposes, you know, an end user, when they hit that particular player and video stream, they just want to know they're watching the content they love, right? And that they're sharing that content with someone that uh, is in the network. They don't necessarily need to know that there's two token systems. They don't necessarily need to know, you know, sort of the, the, the guts of it, right? Uh, just same way that you, when you use a Visa card, you don't have to understand exactly what happens behind the scenes. Um, so messaging that and explaining that to the end users is uh, something that we're, we're continuing to improve. And that's really important because as we launch with our future partners, you know, other areas, uh, you know, I think our, our blockchain explorer, which is basically a, a tool of if you will, um, you know, we ran into uh, scalability issues, right? As, as you can imagine, we over 300,000 users over a course of uh, uh, three or four weeks with very large session times, um, you know, 3x average session times uh, compared to our regular channel on Sliver. Uh, so that was really pushing the, the boundaries of the number of transactions per second. And, and so the tool uh, scaling that is something that uh, we're working on now as well. 
Just curious. I mean, what do you see as driving those session times? Like, why are they so dramatically longer? Is it just that people are really engaged in the yeah. content or is it that maybe because they see some value exchange, they're more willing or more interested in capturing some of that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's something that we were a bit surprised uh, of as well because we had expected to be you know, similar to our 10, 20% variance from our uh, other channels, right? And what we found was that the feedback from the initial set of users that they, they love the fact that they were seeing this little graph in terms of how much they were sharing with others in network and it almost became a bit of an obsession in terms of how much tokens they were earning. And it became sort of this, you know, leaderboard kind of a thing that you wanted to, uh, you know, uh, you know, in chat, you were saying, oh, I've got I earned 23. I share 23 tokens worth with the community. How much did you share? Being recognized, right? That recognition is kind of interesting, right? In itself. You know, secondarily, I think the incentive, the fact that you could actually do something with those tokens that had certain value, as you, as you described, a value exchange, you know, made it real, right? Uh, that, you know, they had to come back tomorrow because they needed to get to that 20, uh, you know, threshold in order to be able to redeem for sort of like that credit card, you know, points or the airline mileage uh, kind of a concept. So it's kind of a very, very interesting sort of social uh, dynamic. Do you have to worry about users gaming the system because uh, that's a way for them to sort of rack up some yeah. sort of currency? Sure. You know, it's an uh, interesting question in itself. In some ways, if a user is telling their friends that, you know, holy smokes, you can watch this piece of content, which, by the way, you might like, and at the same time earn something as a result of that, I think that's pretty interesting in itself because it essentially increases the user, uh, it's a user acquisition tool in some sense, right? If you have a free site anyway, you know, wouldn't someone like uh, YouTube or Twitch or Samsung VR, you know, want to double their viewership for their content? That's pretty interesting, right? So those questions become really interesting in themselves because um, it benefits the network. But I think the even more interesting sort of second half of that is what do the, do the users do with the tokens, right? So this is probably the most exciting part in our work with Samsung VR team is, is there an opportunity to start monetizing to build a new revenue model on sort of this blockchain, you know, approach? And, you know, what if you've earned those 30 or 50 theta tokens and now uh, there's a pop-up that says, hey, would you like to redeem that for a premium for episodes two or three or four? You know, would you want to use that to disable video ads, right? No one really likes ads all that much. Or if you're Netflix, would you want to use that to offset or to pay for your next month's uh, subscription, right? So those those are new revenue models is where it gets really interesting. So what do you see as like the five or 10 year vision of the company? Like, where does this go? Yeah. So, you know, we've always looked to blockchain as a three to five year vision in terms of the technology adoption. I think we're very early. I mean, feel really feels like mobile 2010, right? Or internet 1997, right? Um, you know, from our perspective, we think that Theta as sort of this infrastructure play where we're looking to partner with. I mean, we love to get to a day where you're watching your favorite uh, YouTuber, right? Uh, and you are rebroadcasting that particular content and you're earning tokens. And then you then head over to to HBO, and then you're able to use those tokens to unlock the next episode, right, of some premium content that you love, uh, and then um, accumulate enough tokens, and next day be able to pay for your Netflix subscription for free. And that's that's a that's a really and be able to do that seamlessly, right? So your digital wallet, if you will, basically just travels with you, and you don't even necessarily have to think about it, right? Uh, it's almost this concept of single sign-in, right? That that 
those tokens are just with you at all these different sites. And that's that's really popular, uh, and that's really that's really interesting for us. Um, but it's much more than just video, right? So our vision is not just a video infrastructure network uh, in five or ten years, right? We want to move into all sorts of content delivery, right? So envision apps, right? Mobile apps, right? You know, any kind of app or even PC-based apps. There's a lot of app update that happens all the time, right? And especially mobile games. I mean, these are hundreds of megabytes and or, or, or larger files. Well, what if you could, in fact, you know, every instead of each person pulling that big file from a central server, which is what happens today, and you had huge, huge costs uh, to game developers or platforms, what if you could pull that, those files, right? Because an update is an update, right? I mean, pulling bits and pieces of those files from other mobile users around you makes a lot of sense, right? What about uh, enterprise video conferencing? What about uh, file sharing? What about static data, website you know, data, which comprises most of uh, data out there today anyway, as far as CDNs are concerned? So there's um, all sorts of decentralized ways of sharing content, right? Not just video as a form, as a form factor. So um, we're recording this in mid-August, and um, at least in the crypto exchanges, a lot of those tokens have taken a dive over the last several months. So I'm curious, like, what does that mean to you um, in general, and what do you think it means for the broader idea of the blockchain industry, for lack of a better term? Yeah. You know, I, I think from an investor standpoint, there's a lot of this sort of concern over the day-to-day or even the hour-to-hour prices, right? And and when, when you have a token for a project uh, and it's being traded, it almost feels like you're running a public company, right? Instead of being a stock market being open, you know, from nine to five or whatever the case may be. This is like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? So it gets kind of crazy. And from our perspective, you know, by nature, our DNA, you know, we're technologists, right? So we are developing technology leveraging blockchain and it's not so much a day-to-day, right? I mean, sometimes we look at the prices and to be honest, we don't really look at it that much uh, because in our view... You know, it's about the real world adoption. It's about making sure technology scales and it launches in December of this year and to make sure that we have those first three or five, ten launch partners, which are large uh, platforms, consumer platforms, and making sure that that it scales appropriately. But there's a lot of distraction. I mean, to be honest, I think this whole industry is, is sort of in the early days, right? Uh, feels a bit like a wild, wild west, uh, if you will. But I think over time, I, I think you'll see a lot of changes in the next six, 12 months. I think you'll see a lot of great projects sort of floating up to the top. And, um, you know, you know, we, we hope Theta will be one of them. But, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's really about end user adoption that really makes all the difference. Yeah. I, I think you, it depends a lot on who you ask, because there's a lot of projects where at the core their token being worth a lot of money and and very quickly is at the heart of whether the project succeeds or not Uh, we have a very different perspective for a couple different reasons one being the people that participate in the token sale are accredited investors and venture capital funds or media conglomerates like bdmi and such and the majority of the tokens were sold to the existing equity investors of sliver tv so there's very much aligned incentives and no one's looking at this as a uh a day trading token play. And, and because of so many of the corporate partners that we're speaking to and we're looking to partner with that Mitch referred to are not looking at the daily token prices. In fact, some many that we've talked to um, and there were various stages of, of partnering with, they couldn't tell you what the price of any of these tokens are. They're focused on the technology and what it can do for its end users. So we, we just don't feel the pressure that I think some of these projects do that to be subject to the day-to-day swings of these markets. 
All right. So one question I like to ask everybody is what's one controversial opinion you have that is really strongly held? Well, you know, I, I think uh, one area related to, to what we do is decentralization, right? If you think about blockchain, it's about empowering the, the end users, right? So it's a lack of a centralized authority. I think there's some controversy there, right? You have a lot of organizations or, you know, central government bodies, right, that see that as a threat, right? And is that necessarily... A good thing or a bad thing, right? Uh, you know, from even from a monetary standpoint, right? You see a lot of governments and countries looking at, you know, whether Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatnot as a threat to their uh, centralized currency, right? So that's interesting. My view, honestly, I think that in the end, um, when it becomes truly decentralized uh, and is driven by end users, right? Uh, and that power is distributed and it's, it's governed by this, this body that's sort of a highly uh, decentralized in the end, you end up in a much better place than a centralized authority. I think the path of getting there is the challenging part, right? It's not without a lot of obstacles and pain along the way. Uh, but once you get there, it's something that, uh, you know, I think will be sort of the next platform, if you will, right, for building technology over the next 30, 50 years, right? I, I want to press on that a little bit because I'm kind of curious. There's a lot of optimism in the tech space about this idea of decentralized infrastructure and decentralized applications um, in many ways, sort of returning back to the early democratization of the internet before it got sort of taken over by these huge platforms. And how do we make sure we don't screw it up again? Because the idea of a decentralized internet or place where anyone can exchange their ideas or share applications or whatever is a great one. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, that platform is now mm -hmm. monopolized by Facebook and Google right. and um, some of these other companies. Yeah, I think um, the way we want to get there is not necessarily to say we're going to build the next decentralized YouTube or Amazon or Facebook or Google, and we're going to kill Google. And no one's, look, no one's going to kill Google anytime soon, right? I mean, a lot of companies can try. Um, the best way to get there, and I think that's our, our that's our view as a sort of, as a building block, you want to work with the existing incumbents, right? Being the, the Googles and the Facebooks, uh, the Amazons of the world, and you uh, use that as a path towards decentralization, because I think in the long term, the Amazons, the Facebooks will see the value of their own services and products and, and whatnot being decentralized and being powered by being democratized because, and that's, so that's almost a, a path forward, if you will, that is not necessarily saying that um, we're going to kill Amazon, right? Uh, and that's the part that we're excited about. And I think that's, that's the path to, to get there in 10, 20 years. I think, I think the Amazons and the Facebooks will look very different in 20 years. I, I think the other interesting part of this is just this idea that in 10 years, no one's going to know that an app is decentralized, you know, in the same way, no one thinks about something as being mobile or on the internet. I think that's kind of what we're trying to get to. We think media entertainment is really a sort of easy onboarding towards leveraging cryptocurrency and blockchain because something you do, something you consume, uh, but you don't necessarily have to think about the fact that those tokens are powered by this cryptocurrency, right? All you know is that those tokens have a certain value, right? Right. Uh, last question. If you weren't doing this, if you weren't doing... Theta and Sliver TV. Like, what would you be working on? What's an area of interest that falls outside of video streaming and blockchain? AI. 
Yeah. The artificial intelligence. I, I think there's so many, so many exciting things that's happening in that whole domain. I mean, when I was back in school, you know, doing, um, movies, interactive cinema, cinema types of things. And we're at that point looking at human computer interactions, but an element of that was sort of the early incarnations of AI, right? Uh, and when you are, you know, thinking about how do you build a, a nonlinear path, a, a, a scene which is constructed in real time based on, uh, human input, um, you know, there's a lot of elements there in terms of how you think about building that. I think AI has huge implications, a bunch of different areas, a bunch of different industries. All right, cool. Well, thanks a lot for being here, guys. I I really appreciate you taking the time to be part of our podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ryan. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. Stay tuned for our next podcast with Kilton Hopkins and Farah Papayuanu, the co-founders of Edgeworks, in which we'll be talking about all things decentralization and edge computing. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. And this episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Janaki Mehta with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. And Samsung Next is always on the hunt for brilliant new companies to partner with. You can find us on Twitter at Samsung Next, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.